0: Welcome back to poker Distilled, and we have some pretty bad news today, Melissa, unfortunately. Nothing out of the ordinary. This is what <laughs> comes with the territory with poker, but you, you are not yourself today. You have had a dreadful weekend poker-wise. I can tell yes. from your energy levels that you are <clears throat> suffering somewhat. I can feel it from you, because I know you pretty well by mm. this point. I can feel that you are not your normal, sort of, sprightly and enthusiastic self today you've got something weighing on your mind so today Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about when poker is like a literal fucking minefield when it feels like you're going to get blown up at every opportunity when every flop is just a what could go wrong this time type of dilemma what's been going on how are you feeling today talk to us
1: i'm feeling like the equivalent of i like i just got hit by a train or something i mean maybe that's a little bit too much but i definitely feel like i have i'm dragging weights around my ankles when i walk that i have a kind of pressure weighing down on me um after this weekend and really it was it was saturday sunday monday so it was three full sessions that just went terribly and the irony of the whole thing is that um Friday, I'm sorry, Saturday morning before this all started, I remember I had run fairly well the last two or three sessions, not amazing, but just consistently like fairly well, like winning maybe like a half buy-in or a buy-in each session. And then I remember thinking to myself, this is like, I've kind of figured this out. Like I've kind of figured out this poker thing. Like, like, I'm not kidding. That's literally what was going through my head. And like oh if i just kind of play this way like this is kind of a consistent way to kind of beat this game and then the poker gods sent a lightning bolt <laughs> down into my um my poker game because i ran terribly for the next um the next three sessions and i think coming out of it now it's tuesday morning when we're recording this um I'm at the point where I feel like I've been like the floor is dropped out from underneath me and I'm just like suddenly in like, like a trap door has dropped me into a pool of water or something. And I'm just like trying to kind of find my way out or I'm in some kind of trap and I don't know which way is out, which way is up. And really starting to think, okay, like, was that a good line where I got stacked on that one hand? Did I play that ridiculously aggressive? Was I tilted in that one hand all of these things are going through my mind to where I'm unable to even understand. I feel like, in a weird way, I'm not even under. I don't even like understand like how to play correctly. <laughs> that sounds really dramatic. That's, but that's really like common. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, I'm glad that I can kind of talk about it a bit today with you, P. And I'm sure people listening will relate to this feeling where. Nothing you do works where you see a flop and it's it seems like a minefield, it feels like what's what is going to hurt me next? Mm-hmm. Like how is this how is this sporting gonna run out in a way that's gonna take more of my chips? Yeah. That's how it feels.
0: Yeah, there's a sense of inevitability about it, right? Because like if you're getting constantly fucked up by something in real life, like if you're in a minefield, for example, to take the most extreme example then your body adjusts to the fact that you're in a minefield. Your brain adjusts to it. Every step you take is with immense trepidation and for good reason, for the the sense of your own survival. And in poker, obviously there's this disconnect. There's this alien world thing that I talk about in poker therapy where the laws of physics in poker just don't follow the laws of physics in real life, right? When it comes to things like luck and patterns and the brain's obviously struggling to, to wrap itself around the idea that sometimes it's just your job to be stacked 13 times across three days in a live game which is a hell of a lot of making up numbers you have no idea like the extent of your downswing but that is sort of unacceptable to the limbic system right and to the reptile Mm -hmm. brain because they're kind of like well if we're in a situation where this is happening to us then we must be in a minefield or a war zone or we must be putting ourselves in some situation and we must need to like really reevaluate our life and our understanding of what we're doing so i think what's happening is that brain is like way more complex than us armchair amateur psychologists can even begin to comprehend. And it's probably started some process, would be my guess, where it's kind of saying you should question whether you know what you're doing, because this is too much pain to happen if you did know what you were doing. Mm-hmm. So there must be something deeply, deeply mm-hmm. wrong. And even if you know logically that that's not the case, even if you can look back over those hands and for the majority able to say no i played that fine this was unfortunate i ran into the top of their range there that bluff was okay it just didn't work out this time even if you're able to rationalize all of that your subconscious could still be sending the kind of subtle droning message of you're doing it wrong you're making mistakes you're no good you need to fix it mm-hmm. otherwise you're going to perish and this is going to continue so that alarm bell ringing sense of self inadequacy is louder and is always going to pierce through the bursts of rationality they're going to feel extremely weak in times like this so even if you do play a hand well and you come to accept that cognitively that solace if you can even use that word might be too strong a word is going to be so short-lived and so fleeting mm-hmm. and so like almost dumbed down in it. it's almost like your rationality becomes anesthetized by the brain's sort of subconscious shift right and it's just overpowering everything and i know exactly what it feels like i've taught loads of people that feel that way and yeah maybe you're going to be a bit of a zombie for a few days as you wrestle with this subconscious reaction to what's happened just never lose sight of the fact that you understand what you understand about the game the feelings you've had the winning sessions you've had the success you've had always try and zoom out you know my my friend and carrot corner coach james was Akshar. I think it was Akshar actually that said this. Um, he said something like whenever he's feeling like he's going through a downswing or poker isn't going well in the short term, he looks at all the money he's ever made with pocket aces on his mm-hmm. poker tracker and he looks at all the like thousands upon thousands of dollars he's won with pocket aces and he looks mm-hmm. all the times he's stacked people and he remembers when he, he goes through a list actually of why he loves playing the game. He actually said, Pete, I write down in like pen and paper the reasons for which i play poker and what it does for me like how it excites me and like fuels Mm -hmm. me and gets my my subconscious juices flowing and i think right now it's your subconscious that's struggling and it's your subconscious that's poisoning your conscious mind with its you know sort of inevitable reaction to this and i think the heavy weight you describe is very much the brain's sort of shift towards making you question what the hell you're doing and Mm -hmm. It might be good to appeal to the subconscious mind as to why you like poker and why you're good at it and why you feel like it's worthy and you're worthy Mm -hmm. to do it, you know, and do that in subconscious terms, not just conscious terms. So my advice to you today as you go through your day and get on with life would be every time you're tempted to rationalize whether a play was good or bad, interrupt yourself. Save that for when you're feeling out of this funk. Don't do that yet. Just interrupt that and instead... Go down the path of imagining and remembering the good times. That means getting in touch with the good things that have happened in the past with poker. Getting in touch with just the abstract relationship between you and poker in the present. Like, what is that? Just in the abstract, what is it you like about the game overall, independently as to how it's been going? And then what is it you hope for in your poker future, you know? And try and get in touch with all of those sides of it. um, And resist that temptation to fight subconscious weight and subconscious negativity and all those emotions with logic because logic isn't going to do shit to those emotions yeah. and those those mental states
1: when i that's so helpful and that that appeal to rationality and that appeal to like some external validation of like what's going on here it's like a life raft life raft so like when i got home last night i literally spent like an hour with a solver just going through hands to be like I played that right, correctly, right? Was that right? Yeah, okay, okay. I thought that was a good, okay, I could do that. Yeah, okay. Which is like so wrong and silly and like not taking into any consideration all the external factors, all the deviations, everything else, but just like so desperate for like someone, something outside of yourself to give you like a reality check or Mm -hmm. some kind of validation. It's like, and that becomes especially desperate when you're like- at least in the situation I was in. Um, and so like, yeah, that's, that's one point. The other point that I liked or that I kind of resonated with me is this, like when you, when you play online, obviously you have like your, you have all the data that you can look at. Like you're, you're saying like your friend that looks at all of the times he had aces and how much money he's won with aces, like in a lot, li- like a live st- like the sessions I played this weekend, like three long live sessions. Like, yeah, I I got aces a couple times. I think I even got quads once, which was really odd. I flopped quads right after I'd gotten stacked in the previous hand.
0: Wait, you Um, you made quads and you still had a bad weekend. What's wrong with you?
1: Yes, I know. Isn't that freaking nuts? I remember thinking that to myself. I'm like, I had aces today. I had, you know, and I, and I got paid with aces. I had quads, but it, the other problem too is that in low stakes live environments, if you're not at the right table, and I'm and generally you are at the right table, mm-hmm. which makes live live poker generally very profitable, um, a very you know, profitable endeavor compared to online. Mm-hmm. But if you're not at the right table and you don't have the right players and the 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 table is overly tight and passive,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that is awful. Cause then you can get aces, then you can get quads. And then not get paid, or get in situations where, like in the in the hand I had, I had quads, I had pocket sevens, um under the gun under the gun plus two under the gun raised, I three bet, which is why a wide three bet pocket sevens under the gun plus two. But I did it because under the gun one was a very amateur player, or is a very. I amateur think it's player.
0: fine. I think like isolating bad players. Um, with lighter three bets in position is yeah. amazing like they don't four bet you enough it's just that no no a spot you want to usually get involved so i think yeah. it's fine yeah
1: okay see this that's what i mean though i mean my i'm so my you're doubting so things you normally like, yeah, you normally do that. without giving yeah. it a second
0: thought um can you give me one second actually i need yeah. to deal yeah. with the dogs because I, I left them outside i just realized one sec so yeah things that we normally do just suddenly become not so clear not so safe anymore yeah yeah anyway back to yeah. the hand
1: So I, so yeah, so I three bet was three bet pot with pocket sevens. He he called me, and then the flop was seven seven queen, and check check. The turn, um, check. I bet. I think I bet a B seventy five pot. He flat calls, and then the river he checks to me, and I like four X'd pot, and he ended up calling me and he shows pocket kings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like that's a situation where like he just flats with pocket kings and then he checks and it's like mm-hmm. he just check calls he just plays it passively and what i mean why i'm telling you all this is because like if you get the wrong those types of players on a table you just not like the stars don't align and it's really hard to get value from your value hands and then if you stack on top of that running poorly in big pots then you, what happens is you tend to kind of like you get stuck and it's just hard to make it up. And anyways, that's one, one factor that can sometimes affect like a live session. But the other part of it is that when you're, when I'm thinking about it now, I don't have a database to go through and look at all the hands. All I have is what sticks out in my brain, which tends to be the hands that went poorly. So I don't remember necessarily the hands that I may have played well or, where I, you know, encountered a kind of fortune reversal type spot and you know made a, a brave fold and reacted kind of with discipline.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't those don't stick out. What sticks out is the big pots where I lose a lot. And so it's hard in your brain for your brain to process like, you know, that part of like okay, what is what do I like about poker? How is mm-hmm. what is this giving me that is really is really um yeah. Is really positive
0: so it could be then that you're not quite capable of doing that yet that this weight is too much mm-hmm. and it could be that just doing nothing is the right way to go it could just be that like taking two days where you don't think about poker yeah and you will miss it by the end of today i know what you're like with poker i know how crazy you are about the oh, game yeah. i really feel like two days into this if you tried this you would already really miss the game and you'd be ready to get back there and you would have a lot more enthusiasm and curiosity and All of those good things are incompatible with the state of kind of frozen fear or like disheartened kind of zombie mode where you're just trudging through life like oh god is this big burdensome weight on top of me. So it could be that you need to just like basically take yourself out of that space. Like if you're just if, if thinking about poker right now to you is going to mean just reliving all of the horrors of the weekend and reliving all of the pots that you lost. I mean you've already sat there with a solver, and I agree it wasn't the optimal thing for you to do. Like, but we we act in, you know, when we're Mm -hmm. stressed, we act in really automatic ways, compulsive ways, moreover, that we can't really control. So who cares? Like, okay, it wasn't the optimal response, but who has the optimal response when they're like up to here with stress? Not many Mm -hmm. people. So don't beat yourself up over that. But maybe now that that's turned into less of a kind of panic mode and more of like a just a horrible wait it might be time to just give yourself a couple of days to get into the right emotional mental state again get rest get some sleep you know he said to me that you've not really slept well last night because you've been playing late and then all of this has been on your mind so no wonder you've not slept but yeah just look after yourself like tlc to from you to you for like a few days and then come back to the game again and then start thinking okay what is it I like about this game? What is it I love about this game? If you take the, if you take the metaphor of an abusive relationship, right, which is which is actually like the relationship a lot of people have with this game. Let's face it, mm-hmm. when that mm-hmm. person gets back with their abuser, right, and I'm not saying poker is your abuser, but I think it's analogous in some ways. So bear with me. So when that person leaves the house and says never again and storms out and gets in their car and packs up their stuff and leaves that person that's being physically or emotionally abusive to them. And then they come back three days later, right? When they come back, what are they thinking about? What kind of things is on their mind, do you think?
1: When they come back from...
0: Yeah, like two or three days later, what what kind of my, mental state are they in at that point? What kind of light are they perceiving that partner in?
1: But, uh, probably a better light than they... Mm-hmm. Were when they left,
0: so they're probably seeing glass turn to normal, yeah, or like glass half full, like all these good times and yeah, all of that, and they're really wanting it to work, right? But if you said to them, "Go back and make this work," like an hour after that, that would be ridiculous. Mm -hmm. It'd be completely incompatible. Now, I don't think you should stay with someone that abuses you emotionally or physically. I don't. I think that this is like not an analogy in the sense that you know, I'm not saying you know, get back with horribly abusive people. In most cases, I think that's awful, and you should leave them. But poker creates the illusion of being this abusive, horrible thing that torments you. And maybe it does torment you, but with poker, because it's not a person, it's not acting unethically, it doesn't know what your feelings are. That's where the analogy breaks down. But you could still have one part of this analogy being good with the other part being, like, a different thing. So even though... Mm there's no morality between you and poker here where poker has like violated your rights ethically, you might still not be able to go back to it when you have just suffered a ton of abuse from it. Mm
1: -hmm. So you might be in the phase
0: right now where you've taken the two days away, you've gone back to stay with family or friends away from poker, and maybe it is right that you get back with poker because poker is not a psychopathic abuser or a violent partner or anything like that. Poker's just an, an object, it's a game, right? But maybe you need the space that a victim of that kind of abuse would need in order to even engage or think about that, that person again. So yeah. I wonder if like you are just reeling right now. You're just absolutely in mm-hmm. the phase where the the wounds that's inflicted on you this weekend are so are so huge that you do need to just get the hell away from it for a couple of days Mm -hmm. and then when you come back you need to make sure that you're in a space where when you start thinking about those hands you are able to actually say oh man here's the things i love about this game these are the Mm -hmm. aspects of this game that i actually like and i fell in love with and i want to spend my life with maybe that's what you need to do because right Mm -hmm. now I, i do agree like today if you just keep doing this today I think you're just going to go round in circles and I don't think this is the time to try and rationalize did I play well with sevens did I play well with jacks or anything like that I think it's time to look after yourself first and that's what I say to all of my students by the way if they go on if they have a bad session then my advice is generally okay let's analyze it let's get back on the horse let's let's access all of the curiosity and the love of the game and Look at all the times you won pots and think about what you want out of poker in the future. Let's recharge your batteries as it were. Let's get your inspiration going. But when that is such a bad downswing that they're actually hurt and they're like a wounded animal, then I will will agree with them when they say I need a few days away from the game. I'll say that's good. Okay, you're probably worried about being the sort of person that goes away and retreats from things and doesn't face the challenge. I know you're someone that faces challenges head on but sometimes part of actually winning a battle is knowing when to temporarily retreat Mm -hmm. and it might be the case that today we temporarily retreat and then in a couple of days we start learning to fall in love with the game again and seeing all of the hope and the aspiration that we have and getting our ignition going and then on day three or four it might be time to start rationalizing and fully taking accountability for any bad play I don't think you're in a frame of mind today where you can bear the burden of taking accountability for bad play. Therefore, don't analyze your hands because some of them will be Mm. bad. You know, that's the tough Mm. love approach. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. I think too, there's a a temptation with me to minimize the downswing itself and its effect on me. So like there's like I want to be someone who can weather, you know, the ups and downs of the game Mm -hmm. and who can play access my A game even when I'm when things aren't going well. I feel like that's kind of a crucial part of mm-hmm. being a good player. And so there's this uh need in me to want to minimize what's happening and say just kind of get back on the horse mm-hmm. and continue continue on forward and you'll find your way out of this and really that's the same part of me that says well the longer you sit at the table the better it is because eventually the money's going to come your way mm-hmm. um and so by st- by sitting out by not playing for a day or two i'm this is just what my mind's telling me mm-hmm. is that it feels like i'm saying i've been so affected by what is a normal um part of the game
0: it's not normal though in the sense that it happens yeah. all the time it's really abnormal statistically for you to drop as much as you have this one weekend and suffer all of those beats. So I I just quickly point that out, that it's not normal, you know, in the short term, you wouldn't expect that to happen very often.
1: Okay. Yeah. So that makes sense. Cause it's, it's the, but it's like the way that my lizard brain, whatever you want to call it, it's like telling me to kind of like just get back in the ring kind of thing. And then on top of that, you know, I have like, well, um, I, I want to be, I want to be able to kind of, um, put myself into like difficult situations sometimes to see how I do. Okay. yeah. <laughs> and so like, this is, this is, a, it's a, it, it's really this I guess the, the equivalent would be like someone that's like, um. I don't know, like an ultra marathon or something where they're just Mm. like, well, I run marathons all the time, like 26 miles is like, not a big Mm. deal. What I really want to do is I want to do one of those like three day ultra marathons where you run like 200 miles and um, put myself in a situation where I'm just like tested. There's a part of me that wants to do that. And I don't know if that's healthy or not. And I don't know if it's at all appropriate for poker. Um, It's probably not. I'm thinking it's probably Mm. not. But like, there's a part of me that's just like, can I? Like what's the most, not the most extreme thing, but like I want to put myself sometimes into a difficult situation rather than walk away from it. And I'm not saying any of that is appropriate right now, but that's sometimes where my head goes with it. right.
0: Two points here. First, I want to play devil's advocate and I want to challenge a couple of things you said there. And then secondly, I want to give you a boxing analogy. So don't let me forget to do the boxing analogy if I get swept up in the first part. How difficult would it be for you to walk away because the reason I ask this is I think it would be more natural for you as a person with your personality to get back in the ring immediately Mm. and face that challenge I think that would gel better with like your ego and your self image between your relationship that you have between or you perceive that you have with poker compared with if you said I am going to take two days off I feel like the latter I might be totally wrong and I hope you'll tell me if I am I feel like the latter might even be more intimidating to you in some way. And although you're framing this as I want to put myself in a tough situation by uh, going back to yeah, poker, I have a sneaking suspicion yeah. that that's the easier route for you to take from a deliberative standpoint.
1: Um, I think that's a really interesting concept. And I like the idea of me switching around the challenge in a way that's mm. the opposite. I don't know if that's true, but okay. I like it, okay. if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. I really like it, but I don't know if it's true. I don't know if it's to true To be either. honest.
0: Yeah. yeah. Like if you were to... Okay, so then put it this way. Let's do the box mm-hmm. analogy, then we'll come back to that then, right? So sure. let's say that there's two boxers, they're in a fight, and Boxer A gets knocked down by Boxer B, right? Gets sent to the floor with like a really, really clean hit and is like on the deck, ultimately it transpires that boxer a wins that fight right the one that got knocked yeah. down what does the timeline of events look like between boxer a being on the canvas sparkled head looking up at the lights and his hand being raised up by the by the judge judges that umpires referee referee at the end of the fight what does that timeline look like and what kind of stages of that timeline are essential between when
1: the when boxer a gets knocked out and when the referee lifts up the winner the bo- the boxer a wins
0: the fight ultimately right so okay. by the end of like let's say boxer a gets knocked out in like the third round but not like knocked out just knocked down right that's oh a okay one. i thought that's so what was
1: confusing me he's I not knocked like a out is like, no 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 okay. he's
0: knocked down right but maybe he's, maybe he is like hit so hard that he loses consciousness for a couple of seconds but he's knocked seconds.
1: down it's not like a, it's not like a he, he lost the fight right
0: they don't stop the fight but yeah. ultimately boxer a that same one wins the fight what does that timeline of events look like, and how does it begin? With him getting up? And what does that look like? Break that down into more stages for me. You say getting up, but what stages are involved in getting up? What kinds of things happen?
1: Um. Well, I mean, he is... I don't know, I'm not sure I follow. I mean, I guess he just he would just physically lift himself off immediately like he's
0: just like down and then he's like hurt by this punch then suddenly he's just on his feet and he's normal or what does it look like
1: no no it would require like like um refocusing Mm -hmm. the kind of like catching his breath Mm
0: -hmm.
1: maybe like dabbing the blood away yeah
0: Uh, like getting his vision back catching his breath waiting for pain to subside steadying his balance Maybe the end of the round comes and he's able to recuperate a lot during the Mm -hmm. interval between round four and round five. Maybe the start of round five, he takes it a bit easier. And then by round six, he's like truly back in the fight, like back to the way he was before the knockdown. So the getting up there that Boxer A goes through, if you break that down into even more like micro stages there's probably a stage where he looks like he's not going to get up, right? There's probably a stage where he looks, like, really fucked. You're like, wow, this guy is, like, he's done. But then, like, he slowly, five, six, seven, slowly gets to his feet. The ref's like, eight, nine, he's staring him in the eyes. He's kind of blurry at first, but then he makes eye contact with the ref. The ref's like, are you okay? He's like, yeah. Then the second time, he's more convinced. He's like, yeah, yeah, I am. I'm okay. Then he staggers over to his corner dabs some blood, when he walks back to the ring he's a bit steadier on his feet than he was before the round resumes, he barely makes it through the round alive because he's still fucked, but then he starts to recuperate through the rest of the fight, so when you say he just gets up I think mm. that is like so indicative of the way that you're seeing mm. what you should do right now because getting up is mm. not just one fell swoop
1: mm.
0: so what if part yeah. of getting up is not yeah. playing today, what if part of getting up is <laughs> those three seconds where Boxer a is just on the ground slowly regaining consciousness and beginning to move his limbs again what if that is today what if tomorrow is yeah. standing up and what if the next yeah. day is getting as is the bell sounding and getting back in the fight
1: yeah no i think that that's that's absolutely right i think it's also that i'm super zoomed in right now and i look at it like My recovery that kind of getting back up and that whole process that you just described Mm. has to take place in a matter of hours or something Mm -hmm. like that or like you know it's like no it can take a couple days yeah that's not a disaster long term a couple of days it's not a long term
0: so i'll put it this way what if boxer a gets up so quickly doesn't even like get his bearings doesn't get his balance back doesn't catch his breath just jumps right back up to his feet then falls over straight away again what does the ref do when he sees that
1: well, then it's over. Stops the fight. It's He's like, no, you're
0: not continuing. Yeah. You just like, got up yeah. and fell over right, right, right away. You're not continuing. It's dangerous. Yeah. So the refs like, that's fucking. This guy's not in his right mind. He just like tried to spring back to his feet and fell down on his ass again. Yeah. Like, no way is this continuing. So yeah. Here's another point of view, right? And I am strongly playing devil's advocate here for the the point of view of you not playing today, but it's totally your decision. But I want I want to put it to you another way as well. If you play today and you run bad, and you play bad, and you drop some more buy-ins, how are you going to feel tonight?
1: Worse than I felt last night, probably.
0: And how does that, is that something you're willing to feel? Are you you okay feeling like that?
1: Um, I guess I'm okay. It's not like, I would prefer not to feel like that, Mm -hmm. if I had a choice, for sure.
0: So I would put it Um, to you that, like, if you play today, in some sense, Poker is now deciding. Variance is now deciding. Like you you're pretty cut up about it today, right? Like you're definitely not yourself <laughs> today. You need a bit of time to recover. Fair enough. You go out and play today to quote unquote put yourself in that stressful situation again and thrive and come through it. I feel like we're relinquishing control a bit to poker. I feel like we're saying to poker, yeah. okay, well, if you look after me today and I play well and run good, and these are both separate variables, although they are interconnected. Then I'm going to feel way better and I'm going to feel like some damage is repaired. And that's really tempting. That's like something I can, I would be craving as well in your shoes. I'd really want that. But then poker is ultimately kind of deciding whether you feel like absolute shit in 12 hours time or whatever it may be.
1: And I feel there's something
0: in me personally where I'd be like, okay, if a person or thing is able to determine that I feel unacceptably bad later, I'm not doing that thing and i'm not going to see that person i'm not spending any more time with that person like i have a boundary and i have a limit um so it's up to you to decide i guess whether going to play today and it going badly crosses that limit of how of what you're able to put yourself through so i think as long as if you can make the decision and say i am ready to get back on the horse like i have already stood up and i'm already you know i've got my balance and i I can see clearly and i've caught my breath if you're Mm -hmm. already feeling all of those things And if it goes badly today, yeah, it's going to feel like shit, but it's not unacceptable. It's not untenable. Like You can live with it and you can live with it in a sense where you're like, well, I signed up for this and therefore I'm actually in some sense okay with it. Then yeah, go and play. But if it's going to be more like poker will decide ultimately whether I heal or get even more severely wounded, I don't think that's the appropriate situation. At least for me, it wouldn't be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm mainly kind of just poking and prodding here a little bit to see what you think about that.
1: Yeah. I think, I, I think that makes sense. I think the other, the risk that I see to myself is not so much, I mean, there's the emotional part of it and feeling crappy and all of yeah. that. And maybe not maybe having another night of like less than ideal sleep yeah. and all of those other, like, yeah, other are like physical health effects, things like that. But um, I think also too, like I don't know if I can play well in the sense that yeah. like I, processing like my processing function is not optimal and my a lot of what I'm feeling like the emotions I feel kick in and I get attached like I have a re- I'm very vulnerable to attachment right now. So like mm-hmm. if I were to go if I were to go sit down in the card room, you know, in a couple hours and let's say that, you know, I stack someone and I'm up, you know, like a buy-in mm. like right away. I'm gonna be and then maybe the next hand I, you know, it's like a big hand. I, there's gonna gonna be a part of me that does not want to lose that stack, <laughs> yeah. and I'm gonna be so attached to that stack because because that's gonna tell me this is the this is your key. This is the first rung on the ladder of pulling yourself out of this downswing. Yeah. This is like the route to escaping from this, yeah. you know, this underground layer that you've been trapped in. And I'm going to I'm going to totally um, misinterpret um, what is going on. And it's going to be, everything's going to be viewed through the lens of the last three sessions. And it's not going to be independent. I'm not going to be able to think independently. Um, I'm not going to be able to think in terms of what's the highest DV because I'm going to be so affected by the current, my current status and how it relates to my previous sessions. Mm. So that's the risk that I see being the biggest reason why I would not want to play today, because I don't want to go in there thinking like that. Um, I have to be willing to be down again three buy-ins yep. at the end of the session. I just have to. Yep. um so until I regain that sense of normalcy, if you will, before I kind of you know, where I can go into a session and be like, yeah, okay, I'm down three buy-ins, but mm. that's I'm still gonna make this really tough call on the river or something like that. Um, or I'm up three buy-ins and I'm gonna make this fold or whatever. And yep. so that's that's gonna be that's really the part that I think is most at the forefront of my mind.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So if you're going to go in there and you're going to need things to be a certain way in order to feel okay, you're going to like certain situations are going to feel totally unacceptable to you. That's a very good sign that you're not quite yet at the point where you should be back in the ring and get, you know, getting up this idea of like getting up after being knocked down, it really is a process. And I'd say that, some of the the best poker players I know will take a week off when things aren't going very well for them like one guy I know in particular who's a really strong player will take a month off when he's had a really bad time and he'll set up his year in a way where if poker is kicking him in the nuts repeatedly he'll happily take a month off and say well I knew at some point this year this was likely going to happen and now I need a month away from this fucking game yeah. And I'm not saying that you should do that I, th- I don't think that's right for you I think you're someone that gets up way more quickly than that and does get back on the horse but there's still a process to getting back on the horse and yeah if you're going to sit there today and you know that you're very likely to play your c game or your d game you have to ask well what is actually the point you're delaying your recovery and you're also putting yourself in a situation where variance is kind of determining your fate and that's always the case in some sense in poker but it shouldn't carry over to, you know, what what's acceptable to you, what's an emotional state that you can bear and what's not. Like, I think that's where you need to say, okay, you know, things change quite quickly. Humans are really resilient. Like, give us a couple mm-hmm. of days after yeah. something bad happens. We're usually way better two days after than we are, like, when it first happens, right? That's typically how we are. So, yeah, yeah, I think you can, I think you could get a lot out of that. And I want to just assure assure you that two days off or something, that's a very short amount of time for a poker player to take off on average when they're going through the blender. Most people I know take longer than that and are still successful and have good careers within poker.
1: That's good to know. That's the other thing uh, I was I think about is that, you know, should this be something that I just play through as a kind of part of, like I said earlier, part of the game? and like, I just have to kind of roll with it. It's like, Mm -hmm. if you're, you know, if you're any, if you're any kind of an athlete and you you get knocked down and you say, okay, I have to now take three months off when it's like, okay, you had a minor scratch. Like you're not that's like, is this, yeah. Is this a minor scratch? It's not, it's, it's, it's deeper than that. It's definitely an injury. I would say. Yeah. Um, it feels like an injury. It feels like it's, it's a, it's a debilitating, um, you put that on top of you know, lack of sleep and everything that is also affecting my thought process and my mood. And, and I feel like just, you know, treating, treating myself as I would someone who has just gone through, you know, a very difficult situation. Like you're not going to be like, okay, like you've just experienced like some kind of trauma. So now like get right back on the horse get right back into it. Like you would never do that to a friend. You would never or a loved one you would say take take time you need time yeah. to recover and i think putting into that context is a lot more is a lot more helpful to me rather than mm-hmm. to kind of think well this is just a part of the game i mean it is a part of the game but yeah. i think not minimizing the the wound and the injury
0: no absolutely and i think like taking two days off when you've been running that badly and when you've had like a really dire stent of variance is not very long to take off i feel like it's it is in a sense just getting back up i think it's part i think the two days is just part of getting back up but we have to start putting it into perspective like i agree that you know if you're worried that taking three months off would be highly inappropriate and damaging to your livelihood and longevity as a poker player i would agree with you that would be an absurd reaction to this taking three months off because of this would probably mean that you weren't cut out for the game and you should go and do something else if you felt mm-hmm. you had to Other stuff aside, obviously, if you were going through other stuff in your life or mental health, it might be different. But if your normal reaction to like a severe downswing is to stop playing for months, that's really bad. Like you probably will never make it in poker. That's not acceptable. But yeah, I mean, you have days off from poker even when you're not running bad. You don't have to play every day Mm -hmm. when you're running fine. So you can certainly allocate your days off to days where you would, you know, you would underperform and where you know that you need a bit of time to recuperate. So. That's Mm -hmm. on the topic of taking time off. That's something that, you know, we can say more on or you can just sort of make the decision on it. But there's other aspects of this as well that we could talk about. So I don't know if you want to move on from that part or if you've got like some summarizing things to say or whether we just move on.
1: Um, No, I think we can move on. I think that was helpful. Okay. With regards to the time off.
0: Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about what happens to our game when we're running bad, like how we're likely to feel at the table Let's return to something we talked about a few weeks ago, which was about poker biases. So Mm -hmm. how during this downswing and this sort of weekend of running terribly, have your biases towards aggression reemerged? Because I said to you, I said something pretty blunt to you, like before we started Mm -hmm. recording the call, where I said like, I didn't actually like you and I didn't want to do this podcast anymore. But (laughs) but no, that's not, I'm just kidding. Um, What I said was, I said to you, Melissa, you are a player who whose tilt is aggression. Aggression is your yeah. tilt. Like when you are playing your F game, or your E game, or your D game, or your C game, when you're not playing optimally, you tend to raise in spots where calling would have been better, or bet in spots where checking would have been better. Has yeah. that reared its head again? And if so, how and what are you going to do over the coming weeks to to get that in check? If if so,
1: yeah, it has. It has come up. But it has not come up as dramatically as it did six months ago. I think it's come up, but it's, so it's not like completely, I'm not completely free of this bias, but I'm certainly aware of it. And I, it's not as, it doesn't affect me as much as it did before. Yeah. But I will say that, um, when it does come up in specific spots, um, it is my, I do feel like it sometimes is my default yep. um, because I feel like there's a part of me that I just instinctively feel like most players in my pool don't want to get into big pots and also are not used to it. Like it's a really foreign world when I mm. four bet them
0: yeah.
1: pre Um. it's a really foreign world when I'm, you know, over betting turn and river or something like that. And so there's a, there's a, my bias is I want to put them in that world a lot. And, and then because I want to put them in that world, I react accordingly. And then when it goes wrong, it, you know, it's quite dramatic because the pot's so big (laughs) that I've made big. And, and so I think that has definitely, Come up, but it doesn't come up so much in the way that it used to. In the sense that before it would come up because I would get too committed to the pot, right. to the chips in the middle. I would get, I would feel an almost emotional attachment, like I need that, I need to drag that my way. Sure. Now it, it's more about, well, I just want to outplay this person in in a spot that is a lot of, you know, it's like a high pressure spot or a high stress spot. Like I just, I want to get into that world with them and I want to outplay them. Mm-hmm. And so there's a bit of ego, there's a bit of my natural competitive spirit. And there's and I don't think it's all unhealthy to be honest with you. It's not I think
0: it's all a lot that's healthy. Yep.
1: But um but that's definitely my bias when I feel like variance is kicking me. Yeah. Kicking me over and over again. I think, well then screw variance. Like I'll do my own thing.
0: Yeah, so that might be the unhealthy part, right? That part there. But I do think like, generally, the fact that you do that, the fact that you're like, oh, you don't like playing for like $950 in a 4-bet pot, guess what? You're going to have to, buddy, because I'm going to take you into that deep dark forest where 2 plus 2 equals 5, and yeah, Yeah. we could go on with the McAltow quote, but you get the picture. I love that about your game. I think it's a real edge, and a lot of poker players are lacking that killer instinct, you know, that cutting edge thing where you're like, well, maybe... You know this will be high variance to me and there's some risk and sometimes i'll get stacked doing it but i know that you are going to crumble way more than i am if we go into this landscape so let's mm-hmm. let's go i love that about your game and i think it's really important to separate here the good parts of this that are healthy from the bad parts that are unhealthy so this bit about i'm going to make my own variants. i think this is the the root yeah. of it let's explore that a bit yeah. further so what does that look like in the context of how it would manifest in a hand of poker and then like why is that so harmful
1: well i think maybe i can talk about that pocket jacks hand that i told you about where like okay so i'm in small blind with pocket jacks um it's a relatively passive table but there's two pros at my table who are generally play like very kind of tight reggae um poker mm-hmm. um and it limps to me um so i op i raise out of the small blind um i actually raised to i raised to um 10 yeah. so it would be like i raised five big blinds instead of three and so um which is standard and then um hijack which is one of these pro regs um three bets me mm. and it was a limp three bet and that's normally in like I don't know if this would ever happen online, but like in a live setting, especially at low stakes live, this is generally like a sign of like a strong hand. So they they do this as a, a kind of tricky, okay. you know, trappy kind of thing. I find it I find it completely obnoxious, and I I would never engage in this kind of like in this kind of. I think it's an embarrassing play. But anyways, um, so people funny. do it.
0: Let me ask one thing. So when you say <laughs> but, reg, I think a lot of listeners right now are thinking regs don't do that so i think this depends on your definition of reg and their definition of reg right so maybe when we say reg we mean relative to the punters like to the fish they're better players but they're certainly not like a studied online solver using reg or anything like that right
1: no this is your this is your i would say typical live one two mid stakes between like one two to five ten player who is who has, you know, who is pr- generally like f- you know, pretty well rolled for the game, um has been around a lot, et cetera, et cetera, but has like a lot of those live tricky, trappy kind of tendencies um that would never be something that like you would ever see a solver do or something. And so the um, so yeah, so three bet out of the hijack. and so then I'm sitting there with pack of jacks and like, I think this is in theory. This is a mix. I think probably more of a call than a raise. Um, And so, my instinct immediately is, is to that was with to four bet. And I think, had I not been in a kind of. If I had been thinking clearly, I think I call here yeah. 100% of the time. Yeah. <laughs> not 100%, but very high. Well, I would
0: say 100%. I mean, don't mix in 10% yeah. of what you think is probably an inferior play, right? So but I, I don't know like- if
1: it would be an inferior play against all players. I really don't. I think that this is, I mean, out of the small blind, I don't know. Um, Despite the fact that he limped, raised, it's not 100% certain that that's always strong. It, it just doesn't have to be. be strong. It doesn't have yeah. to be. So if
0: you open jacks under the gun in six max cash, right? If I retreat into my own fort here that I know better and you get three bet by the small blind, you're never meant to four bet, right? If you get three bet by the button and your full ring, like jacks in really early position against like a button three bet Uh and it's like 112 big blinds deep or something, you're probably, I don't know this for a fact, I've not studied full ring ranges, but you're probably never meant to, to four bet, right? The spots where you're not meant to 4-bet jacks pre because the range you're up mm-hmm. against in theory is too strong for you to be able to yeah. push enough equity to be able to do it for value and then you don't want to be doing it as a kind of 4-bet fold line or 4-bet bluff line either, um, although preflop mm-hmm. is kind of murky between bluffing and value betting, right, with equities running mm-hmm. closer together, but that's that's neither here nor there. So, in principle there are spots where jacks is weak enough that it's just a pure call against the 3-bet in game theory. Now, if we were going to posit that Limp raising strategies are generally way too strong, like they're under bluffed and they're stronger than normal three bets. And I think you would accept that, right? That a limp three bet is stronger than a normal three bet. Then it seems really likely to me that we're just in a world where we call 100% now. In theory, if theory knew his range, theory would probably tell you to only call. So it's not the case that he needs to never be bluffing or that he needs to have like a like I've known hundred percent, just really strong range for this to be the case. We just need to think it's more likely than not that Jax would become a pure call against this average range yeah. in order to yeah. pure call Jax, right? So one way yeah. I would get you to like fight back as like fight back against your aggressive impulses would be to say, "Is this actually a mix?" So before we start with the premise of, given it's a mix, I'm going to do this because I feel like it in this moment, or because of X, yeah, Y, and Z yeah. things I can justify it with. Maybe it's not a mix to start with. You know, a lot of the aggressive plays you're making are probably not a mix, but you're starting Mm -hmm. from the premise that they are theoretically a mix. And I think that's Mm -hmm. where we need to say to hell with mixing, to hell with the idea of accepting that because we're indifferent in a sim, we're indifferent in reality. Poker would be a really sad, boring game, right? If we were just indifferent in reality in like all of these spots where the solver says we are, that would suck. So let's get some curiosity back. Let's get this passion into your game for choosing a play because it's better than the other play. Let's make that our mission so that next time we're in a spot like this, we can say, when we're playing our A game, I appreciate it's not easy to do when you're you know, getting absolutely smashed by the deck, but next time you're playing your A or B game, let's say, okay if one play was to be better than the other here which one would it be? And now let me take that line 100% of the time right now. Let me just only take that line. I think that would really Mm -hmm. help.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's really helpful. And I think baked into this aggression bias is a kind of, I don't want to call it like a solver bias, mm-hmm. but like a, a, like a reliance on like in my mind, I literally see that little square yep. that has like the color, like, you know, like half of it is red half or salmon, <laughs> half
0: green. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like I see that in my mind and I'm like, okay, this is what I can do here. And, but I, I think you're absolutely right. and, the bias that comes in the way it manifests itself is that I then forbet <laughs> and get jammed on. <laughs> and I'm in a, in a spot now where I have Jack's and we're, I think we're, we four at 400 big blinds deep, maybe even more. He might've had more than me. We're just like ridiculously deep, you know, in, in a cash game. And yeah. it's like, you know, it's just a, it's just a stupid spot to be in. It's a, it's a, what it does is it creates problems that d- I didn't need to create and it makes life more difficult for me um when it happens like it did and so yeah. like that's the way that the that the bias manifests itself
0: yeah okay so at the time then when you choose the aggressive action so we've talked about the first premise of is this actually indifferent theoretically like if theory knew my opponent's range would it really tell me that i could forbet here the second question that we can move on to now would be well, why did you choose to forbid? Like what was the actual we call this pseudo-logic in poker therapy, right? Like the the kind of thought that poses under the guise of a GTO thought or rational thought mm. but in reality is like type two thinking. We've outlined in this podcast many times now. Type one, type two, and type three thinking, right? And type two being the unwanted, desire or fear-based um Thought process that really craves to bring about a certain outcome immediately, even at the expense of like objective EV, as a, as it a occurs in the whole game tree. So, what is the pseudo-logical thing that you say to yourself there that makes you just decide to forebet in that moment? Because I would put it to you that when you decide to forebet, if you're not looking at the second hand on your watch or looking at your suits or rolling some dice secretly behind your your cards you are, in fact, taking a pure action. So I'd put it to you that when mm-hmm. you 4-bet, you're not mixing. You can say, well, I I could have I would call here sometimes. But in that moment, I don't think you're ever calling because you didn't do any randomization and you ended up raising. Mm-hmm. So I'd put it to you that you were pure raising. So what was the thought that got you to pure raise that hand in that spot when, in fact, it's probably a pure call? So let's go to that. Is there a culprit thought that we can pin down such that if it comes up in future, we can sort of see it again and catch it in the act?
1: Um, I think part of it was player dependent. I felt like, um, I don't know. I'm not sure if this was correct or not, but my thought process was like, well, I want to, you know, I'm uncapped here Mm -hmm. if I four bet, and then I want to go into a four bet pot Mm -hmm. if he flats uncapped, um, out of position. And, and then I also felt like, um, I just thought it was it was likely that um, if if he jammed, I, I felt like it was probably a low chance that he would jam, and I know that that's not consistent with my earlier analysis of him of the limp rate. Sure, but strong. we're just
0: recalling what what, what yeah. went on in your head at the yeah, time. Yeah, but we're that's not, what
1: went through yeah. that's what went through my mind. So okay. I felt like, yeah, um, but I also felt like, well, there's sometimes where I can call here, and there's sometimes when I can raise, and this is a time when I want to raise for these reasons. Like which we already went through
0: yeah and then the thing with that is that the reasons that you specify i want i think the second one about like if that was true that you're not going to get jammed on often that would make sense in that context i think we can reject that premise now and say well actually if we think the range is really strong we'd get jammed on at higher frequency right but then the second one about like i want to play a 4-bit pot i'm uncapped that seems like the kind of logic that we could use in any situation. I could open the button with eight deuce off and say, I'm uncapped, right. I want to play a pot. Right. So those two thoughts, I think they could be applied to any situation to justify something, Therefore they can't even be close to sufficient for anything. So mm-hmm. I'm not bringing that up to give you a hard time about the technical poker thoughts you had. What I'm trying to do here is focus in on the thoughts that you frequently have when this bias rears its head and when it causes you to make mistakes so that next time they ring a bell, right? So the next time you say something like, I really want to play X size of pop with this player right now, you can say, okay, but that's not sufficient. And I better go back and really make sure that this is indeed optional before I go ahead and do that. Because it's not like a, that's not a particularly strong factor if we might be wrong about whether it's even an option in the first place, right? So these are sort of alarm bell ringing things that might, be symptoms you might say well okay i have diabetes right i don't have diabetes but let's say i did right there's probably certain symptoms that diabetics get that let them know that their insulin is low and they need to like you know take the the insulin injection or whatever or there's probably warning signs and red flags right for a diabetic um same with someone with asthma or something like that there's warning signs when you're having an asthma attack if you're having a agro bias attack, there are probably rashes yeah. and sniffles and coughs and things that go along with it. What are they? Like let's treat this like it's a medical condition. And that means that when you're playing your a game and you come back to poker again, you can maybe catch these at the or at the original sign of the symptoms appearing and yeah, go even further on the path to eliminating them. I think at least this culprit thought analysis It's so good because once you've exposed the thought Mm -hmm. as a culprit thought, you've done it in the cold light of day. And moreover, you've done it in front of the thousands of people that are going to listen to this on Spotify, right? That you're actually going to be able to have that resonate with you more in future. So definitely always like write out guys watching this at home or listening your culprit thoughts at the time when you make a play, don't just jump to, Oh man, I always do that. The stupid Desire made me do it. There will actually be some like pseudo-logical excuse that's going on usually. And if you can figure out what that is, next time your brain goes into that crafty, conniving mode where it tries to make you do something to justify a desire, Mm. you catch it and yet because you're like, aha, not this time, buddy. That's the thought that leads me down this erroneous path. So it's worth doing. But yeah, maybe you take a couple of days. And then it's time to go into all of those hands and do that sort of thing as honestly and objectively as you can. It still might not be the right thing to do it now, even though we are having this discussion.
1: Yeah, I think what's really helpful for me, which I don't do enough and when things are going well, I don't do. But I think when things are going poorly, it would help is just to write out my thought process, like even if I'm not going to share it with anyone just for my own benefit, because a lot of times that thought process at the time feels like the most clear rational kind of process in the world um but in when you look back at it you can see all the holes in it you can see mm-hmm. okay this was this was faulty this was insufficient a doesn't necessarily equal b you know it doesn't nothing leads this doesn't fit together it's kind of just a jumble of different puzzle pieces where mm-hmm. at the time you thought you saw a totally complete picture mm-hmm. and i think one of the ways that poker tricks you and one of the ways you know kind of being tilted or running bad tilts you is that it i think it causes you to see um ration like a a rationality and completeness where there's really only scattered pieces and um it's hard to do in the moment especially if you only have a couple of seconds to think through something to kind of step back and be like okay this is not a rational thought process. It is a thought process, but it's not rational. It's not connected. It's jumbled and it's insufficient. And I need to kind of recognize that and step back. And I think I can do that sometimes, but other times I can't. And and then when you bake into it, the bias, when you overlay it with this bias of aggression, it's kind of a bad combination.
0: Have you seen the movie Inception? I have. Do you remember when he was like, out in the depths of, like, the the dream state. There'd be, like, a spinning top or something yeah. that you would look at that would kind of bring him yeah. out of it. Um, Really good movie, by the way. I'm, I'm like, the guy that hasn't seen... Apparently, It's, it's the, like, the only movie you've ever seen. It's the only movie I've ever seen, yeah. I haven't seen. Apparently, it's called The Terminator. It's not just Terminator. I was on Twitter. Oh, my and God. I was, I was saying to this guy, look, I'm the guy that's not seen Terminator, and he was, I mean... And he said, you mean you've not seen The Terminator? And I was like, okay, yeah, that, well, that speaks for itself, you know? Um, But anyway like one of the biggest points here is probably just this idea that you might need a little trigger to bring you out of that right like maybe there is a spending top equivalent like maybe if you catch yourself saying i want to play the four bet pot or, "I i am uncapped here like whatever those things are they might be enough to sort of wake you up and bring you out of that trance like mm-hmm. jumbled state and maybe that doesn't give you full clarity maybe it's not like oh wow suddenly i'm back in the real world but at least it gives you a sense that something is wrong and you should be very careful about acting on this thought process that you're having right now. And you should go back and double check your working, so to speak, now yes. that you've woken up yeah. from the inception.
1: Yeah, I like the idea of going back and double checking your work. Like mm. if you've ever like written an email in any kind of a professional context, yeah. it's like you want to make sure that you're not, you know, that you have you don't have errors in that email. Well, seriously, that, that my kind of my yeah. accountant,
0: um, one of them is called Georgia. And my brain got into the habit of writing like Gerogia, like it misordered like two of the letters in the name. And I must've written this woman like 12 emails where I just called her like Gerogia. And I know that's not a name, but like once you start doing something once, even if it's like totally erroneous and you don't catch it, it becomes normalized. Right. And I was having this conversation with a student this morning where he was saying, I have these thoughts that like, go back to 2006, like I'll say things like, I'm going to float to take it away later because that's something I thought in 2006 and that's how everyone spoke about poker before I took a big hiatus. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, man, well, that that definitely checks out because there is stuff that I do today because I got into a habit of forming that neural pathway like a decade ago and it might be like a completely silly thing where every time I take this specific mug out of the cupboard I think about a thought I had once when I had this blue mug in my hand it could be like some associative thing like that and it just shows you that a lot of our habits are totally random and they just happen to be ditches that get dug and that and then they get redug and redug even more because that's where the neurons are going and sometimes we just have to say oh yeah, see that thing that I do every single time I'm in this situation? That's bullshit. That's wrong. Mm -hmm. And once we see that, Mm -hmm. we actually like pave the way for new neural pathways to be formed. But we can't do that until we acknowledge that the thing we always do is problematic.
1: Yeah, there's definitely those things, triggers for me. Not so much like, oh, this is how I talked about it back in the day, but there's like a bias I sometimes have toward like, Wanting to be able to like have an easy solution, so you know, I see a flop, and I think you know, nut advantage, right? I can I can go big. It's like B seventy five nut nut advantage, yeah. and it's like that that trigger of like just automatically B seventy five because mm-hmm. there's a perceived nut advantage yep. is like super insufficient in itself, oh, yeah. and that that is, um when I'm running bad or I feel like I have that aggression bias, like what, what is, what can sometimes be gasoline for that is, is a kind of perceived nut, nut advantage. And like in a, in a multi, especially like in a multi-way pot Mm -hmm. where, you know, it's likely whatever nut advantage there exists is likely diluted to some degree. And so the, the trigger, if you will, or like that way of thinking about something like so routinely where it's like, okay, this is, you see this and you do this, you yeah. see X and you do Y um, is, an, is another piece of this, of this tilt that affects me that mm-hmm. I've become a lot better. I will say I've become a lot better at where yeah. I'm like, like, I hate the other part of this is like, I hate to take a passive line where I feel like the aggressive line is like much better. Mm-hmm. And that. I have like such an aversion to passive play yep. and just to have such an aversion to it. I always have. And so when I feel like I'm playing passively or I'm over checking, if you will, or yep. whatever, I, I become like, i have this like get this like bad taste in my mouth yeah. like it's something i don't want to do like oh my god i can't believe i'm doing this here i have a nut advantage and it's like no you don't really have a nut advantage <laughs> and even if your
0: range has a nut advantage what the yeah. hell does that have to do with whether it's better to better check your actual hand against the right. actual villain right
1: you right. know exactly we'll
0: say this exactly. all the time like or I was...
1: villains. villains villains yeah I was uncapped <laughs> yeah. and
0: i had all the sets in my range so i potted the turn at sbr 1.5 with nothing right and it's like okay so how do you rate your fold equity here oh yeah pretty terrible it's like okay so you just burned a load of money then and you're right you do have enough advantage congratulations you know it's like the most ridiculous thing so so yeah i think what we're doing is here we're beginning to expose the inner workings of the monkey brain we're beginning to say Mm -hmm. i can see what you're doing to me now these are the things that are going on and next time i may actually catch you in the act and stop you and here's a thought as well What if you have to make one bad passive play to fix nine aggressive plays that are are bad? Isn't it better to avoid nine bad aggressive plays while making one bad passive play than it is to, you know, do the opposite where the medicine is at that point much worse than the disease.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's absolutely right. And I think looking at it, looking at it through that kind of lens is really helpful and quite satisfying to say, um, you know, what am I improving by doing something I don't like right now? It's like, it's like getting up and going to the gym. It's like, God, I don't want to do this, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: but I know if I do this, it's going to make the next time I do it easier. And then eventually like, I'm going to be, you know, a lot healthier and I'm going to feel better. I'm going to have more energy and all these great things, but I have to do the hard work now and that i'm always willing to do the hard work when it comes to studying when it comes to grinding when yep. it comes to all of those things that are like the traditional hard work mm-hmm. but sometimes the hard work i don't want to do is take the passive line when i when i feel like i could take the aggressive line okay and like
0: okay yeah. okay so so how about this then right now today, the 31st of october halloween 2023 <laughs> you are faced with the decision the aggressive line and go to the card room or the passive line and not and you don't want to take the passive line it's a similar thing where that feels bad to you it feels yeah. wrong to you but i think this is so analogous to the way you are as a poker player and i would say to you that i'm really confident that you will never be someone who makes more passivity errors than aggression errors i don't think that will ever be you no matter how far you swing i don't think that's mm-hmm. possible and in life i think it's also i don't know you as well in life as i do in poker but I think it's highly unlikely that you're the kind of person that will end up shying away from challenges because you take two days or will like go too far in that direction either. Just as you won't become like too passive of a poker player, I don't think you'll ever become too confrontation adverse a person. I'd say it's Mm -hmm. very similar. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: I would agree. Yeah, I would agree. I think that's right.
0: Cool. Well, let's leave it there. I think this is hopefully going to be useful to the audience as well. And thank you Melissa for like being so open and honest today about your own personal experiences, because a lot of people wouldn't feel cool about coming on a podcast. I know this is your podcast, so maybe it's easier, but talking in front of loads of people about something that's like quite unpleasant, you know, traumatic in the poker sense, as much as poker really can be, um, in the short term, at least where it's probably not a great thing to talk about it's probably not the most pleasant thing to talk about in this context Mm. so yeah definitely thank you for sharing it all with us i'm sure the audience will will be grateful as well for you sort of showing what you're going through here
1: yeah i mean i appreciate the opportunity to have this you know this podcast it's it's a really important part of my um you know of my poker game and you know my development of all that other stuff and I love to talk about poker and I love to think about poker and I don't always get to do it in person with people. Um, so this is a really great outlet. And, um, and yeah, I used to be more concerned about like, cause there's a lot of people that listen to this that I play with in my pool. Mm-hmm. And I used to be more concerned with, Oh, how is this going to come across to someone that mm-hmm. I play with? And I've actually just, I've given up caring about any That's of the that. right way to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think like, I would like to stop doing Pete versus troll. As well, because I've actually, I'm just so bored of Pete versus Troll yeah. and I'm so bored of trolls because it's just the same. Not saying the people you play with are trolls, by the way. I'm sure they're lovely and they're not those same people.
1: The exact opposite of trolls. Right,
0: but it still comes down yeah. to like caring what people think or not. Right. And I think that like, if anything, the comments section and just the the kind of vitriol and the brain-dead um sort of absolutely generic samey nature to all of the Those troll comments. Like, I think we did like a few episodes of it. It was just the same fucking troll comment, like, every time. I think it's the same dude just in his basement, like, just sat down there in the dark, (laughs) writing the same thing in multiple accounts, man. The trolls are boring, and it doesn't do you any favors to read comments and get into that social media trap where you're like really caring what people think. I think, like, we thrive more when we're just doing our own thing, because, like, 95 to no more than that, let's say 99. Percent of the mm. people listening to Poker Distilled right now are just enjoying the realness of this and are just enjoying the raw nature of this discussion and how fucking real it is right because there's a lot of bullshit in poker there's a lot of like mm. oh yeah you just get back on the horse you just be tough well, you got man up like there's a lot of this bullshit but everybody suffers at some point in poker there's nobody that mm. hasn't had a really bad week or a really bad month or bad year or bad day um, in poker so yeah who cares what people think like be real and I think you'll heal a lot more by being totally open and honest about it than you will by pretending that it doesn't phase you and jumping back into the mix and saying I should be fine. I should just not let this affect me at all. It's better to be to be honest and say that, yeah, it's a wound and let's treat the wound and then we we get back to it, right? We're not saying like, let's run yeah. away. We're just going to treat the wound and then I'm sure by next week you will be ready to flip the tables on me because we are going to do a heat returns to poker special podcast we're going to talk about all of the thinking that i've been doing about actually playing volume again and about the fact that my game is suddenly out the woods it's like way way better than it's been for so so long and i didn't quite realize how much making the carrot poker school and spending so much of my days on theory fucked up my ability to actually play poker um and now i'm kind of able to get back in touch with that intuitive side that used to serve me so well that hand reading creative side um so i'd love to talk to you a bit about that next week melissa when we do the pete returns to poker or returns to the grind as it were segment
1: yeah i'm super excited for that and really and i'm also really happy to learn that you're returning to the grind i think it's gonna be it's gonna be great and i look forward to discussing
0: yeah 2024 is the year where we hopefully start playing a lot more than we have in recent years and and yeah we'll say more about that next week okay guys you know where to find us on spotify please do leave us a rating five stars would be very much appreciated leave us some comments likes on youtube as well it really helps and yeah that's all i've got we'll see you back here same time next week bye bye see you later guys